Welcome to the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast. Teen Financial Freedom is a personal finance blog run by teens who are on a mission to equip their peers with the knowledge, resources, and understanding they need to become financially free for the rest of their lives. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast. I'm Jacob here, and I am joined today by Josh Olford. He is a young financial advisor actually up in Canada, and I found him on YouTube, I believe, about a month ago and just wanted to reach out to him, connect with him, mainly because my dream job, guys, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but my dream job is to be a financial advisor. I've thought about that for probably the last four years or so, and so just super excited to get to uh, chat with Josh today. It's probably the, I think it's the first financial advisor we've had on the podcast, unless I'm mistaken. And we're just going to be asking him a lot of questions specifically about that, because I'm really interested in that. I don't know if you guys are, but uh, I'm just doing this for me. I'm selfish like that. So uh, we're just going to be asking Josh about uh, his financial advisor business he has now, maybe a couple questions about his YouTube channel, a couple questions about how he got started like in this financial industry and whatnot. So we're going to go ahead and get into it. But first, Josh, how are you doing? Jacob, thank you so much for having me. This is a blast, man. I'm, I'm really excited to do this. It's an honor to be here. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be fun to have a discussion with somebody who is kind of in the exact same shoes I was just seven years ago. So um, I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. And like I said, I'm an open book. So feel free to ask away anything. I'm here to just help you and your audience and maybe provide some clarity on, on finance and, and what it means to be financially independent or to be a financial advisor. So glad to get into it. Cool. Yeah. We are glad to have you. I guess the first thing I kind of want to ask you about uh, is in regards to what you just said, how you were in a very, very similar position to what I'm in now as an 18 year old. You said you kind of got together with a couple of teens and were also sort of creating content. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Absolutely. And, and as a kicker, I've got a hilarious story for you at the end. But the way it went was I was young and I was in middle school, um, you know, whatever, grade eight, nine kind of thing. And I realized very quickly that I hated being told what to do. Like I was so bad at being told what to do. You know, that have that feeling. That's like, I'm not sure if anybody else has felt this, but like, you know, you're about to do something responsible, like clean your room. And then your mom yells at you and she's like, you better clean your room. And you're like, well, I was about to, and now I don't want to because you told me to. (laughs) That happens a lot with, uh, in, in relationships or with parents or whatever. And for me, I was always this kind of guy who wasn't good at being, told what to do, but I could do very well on my own volition if there was something I wanted to do. So it became apparent to me really early that I was going to need to be an entrepreneur or a business owner. And it wasn't going to be a nine to five job or something like that where I was going to thrive. And I didn't thrive in school because I was being told what to do all the time. And I really just needed to have my own inspiration to, to be successful at what I, what I was doing. So that quickly led me down the idea of career path, right? I was 14 or 15 already thinking about, okay, what is it that I'm going to do for a career so that I don't have to be bogged down and kind of hate my lifestyle by, you know, being shackled to a job that I don't really like. So luckily I remember overhearing my dad and my, my grandfather talking about this rental property idea where, you know, if you could buy enough like multifamily houses or apartment blocks and you could get the financing together, you could actually have a lifestyle where your job is to run properties. You don't have to have a boss. You don't have to have a job. If you own enough rental properties, you have a passive income that supports your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, that idea blew me away. And essentially, I remember saying like to my dad, is it possible that I could do that and not have to have a job? And he said, well, it's risky and you're going to have to come up with a lot of money and get the right skills, but it's very possible. And so my, I, I essentially became a one track mind down the whole financial independence idea. And I spent the next many, many years 
um, probably from the ages of 14 to 16, reading every single book I could on investing, building businesses, entrepreneurship, real estate, all these different things. And I'm not sure about you, but maybe with your podcast or what have you, you get this thing where you come across an idea that's so profound to you that you just feel compelled to share it with other people. Mm. And that's kind of where I was at. And I, I started to write a blog about all my learnings. And, you know, I started trading in the stock market with uh, under my dad's name because I wasn't legally allowed to at the time. <laughs> yeah. But I'd save up money from summer jobs, put it in the markets, get invested. And I just wanted to experiment and explore this journey with other people. And I had run into the whole like Gary Vaynerchuk shtick, which is like, everybody's their own marketing company. You have to produce content if you want to get ahead, this whole sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I was producing content and writing a blog and I got approached by this, this organization called the Leaders Investment Club, uh, which is now defunct for the funny story I mentioned. But it was essentially this group of young kids all over mostly the States whose dads were either at Goldman Sachs or they were hedge fund managers or they were just very wealthy young yeah, yeah, yeah. kids who were fascinated by finance and wanted to maybe do what their dads did. And there were some other kids in there like me from, I guess, more, uh, more humble beginnings with less yeah. experience. Um, but this group essentially got together every week in a Facebook group because Facebook, I'm not sure if you know this, we actually used to be very popular <laughs> and, and people used to use it all the time. Um, so we'd get together and some of these kids would have their dads bring in guests like um, you may have heard of the name Paul Tudor Jones. He ran a big hedge fund, very successful investor. The lead trainer in their trading department kind of mentored us. And, and we had all these very wild opportunities to kind of get involved with, with Wall Street and investing and all these different things. That ended up becoming massive because we expanded our different blogging platforms. All of us kids were kind of producing content. And then one day, I remember uh, seeing on CNBC, I remember like flipping on like the business news network and there's this massive story about this kid, this teen trader from New York, who is reportedly made $60 million trading from his high school, you know, lunch room. And to that, I was like, I know that name. And I go and I search it up and he's in this group that we're in. <laughs> and I'm like, is this true? Like, are we all, we all hop in this chat because a lot of us watch the business news throughout the day. And everyone's like, are you serious, Mo? Like, did you actually do this? And he's completely quiet. He's not responding to a thing. And so now this blows up on Wall Street. There's, you know, Bloomberg's reporting on it. CNBC is reporting on it. Business Insider. Everybody's hopping in on this crazy story. And it turns out that this kid had kind of let this little lie become a really big lie. And over time, oh. the media got on the story. And it turns out that he didn't make any money at all. Oh, this geez. was all a complete sham. It was a lie. And... They were covering this story through the day. And I remember waking up one morning and going to check CNBC and they were still on this story. And I remember walking into my room, my living room and seeing on CNBC, it said the leaders investment club, this guy, they're all frauds. And I see like our whole team's like faces up on the screen. <laughs> it was one of the most surreal moments of my life, especially being from like these humble beginnings in Canada. But uh, essentially, after that, we had to release a statement saying, hey, we're not all frauds. We had one guy in our group who was a bit of an outlier. It's not all of us, blah, blah, blah. But anyways, um, that is a very long-winded explanation of where I was seven years ago and kind of how I got into this whole thing and um, a little funny kicker to boot. So I apologize yeah. for rambling on, but that's, uh, no, that's, awesome. that's that, the story there. That's a super funny story. So. I believe you've, you've talked about college or university on your channel before. I don't remember off the top of my head. Did you go? I never went to university. Nope. 
no. Okay. Okay. That, I was just kind of curious to know that because we, we sort of have a variety of people come on the podcast. Some people did, some people didn't. Um, what was your experience? I guess first, why did you make that decision? And then two, like, what was your experience after the fact? And like, what were some of the, the consequences, good or bad of that decision? Right. Yeah. So um, it wasn't an easy decision. That's for sure. Because I was, uh, I, and I'll try to stay humble here, but I was a really talented volleyball player and I had scholarships to play at different hmm. places. And so I had to decide between, do I go to school? Cause here's the thing. And that time there were all these articles coming out about us and about me and the financial space. And people were talking about investing with me. So there was clearly like a fork in the road that was developing. It was like, go play university volleyball and get a finance degree or pursue this passion that you have and maybe try to start a business. That was kind of the fork in the road I was at. And a lot of stuff started shaping up. I had a really close group of friends who have since become tech founders and started very successful businesses, but they were very close friends of mine and they were in tech and their whole thought was, Hey, we're coders. We're software developers. We don't need to go to school. Why are you going to school? Like you don't have to go to school. Mm -hmm. And I was around all these influences who were kind of um, convincing me that it wasn't necessary to go to university. Um, So that opened me up to that line of thinking. And over time, I just started to weigh the pros and cons. Um, I started to read a lot of, sources of content that were talking about how, you know, university isn't what it used to be. Um, and it's not necessarily the great value that it once was. Mm-hmm. And I quickly kind of fell into that line of thinking. Um, not as if it was a good thing or a bad thing. I think in retrospect, I did the right thing for me personally. Um, but I think that if you're wanting to have success in your career and you're very ambitious, um, if you have that gene or that ability to go out on your own and make things happen for yourself, I don't think university is required, but I think for most people who need some guidance or need kind of a path or a template to kind of follow, mm-hmm. to feel as if they have some semblance of security going into their career, I think university is a great idea, right? It, it really depends who you are, but I sucked at school. I wasn't good at being told what to do. And I didn't want to be stuck in that paradigm for another five years after high school. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I essentially spent my time in those five years building my business instead of, um, instead of going to school. And I guess that's where your next question was. What was it like after high school, being out of there, not having a degree, and then trying to make things happen on my own? And that was probably, I got what I asked for. It was probably one of the hardest periods of my life, just because for everybody, after you graduate high school, it's a very difficult period of your life because you're trying to figure out what the heck you're going to do. You've been told what to do your whole life, and now you have complete autonomy of your decisions, and it gets complicated. So for me, I would say there was a lot of things that I had to do. I ran into a lot of roadblocks. I had realized I had to get licensed in the different securities exams. I was going to have to get an insurance license. I was going to have to find a company to work at. Um, And in the meantime, I was like trying to pay bills. I had rental properties. I had car payments. I had all these different things as a young person. And um, so I did a bunch of different things. Like I sold cars. I tried to get whatever job I could that would get me a stepping stone into the business. So that's kind of how I would explain my life after high school. Cool. Yeah. And and then remind me, once you kind of decided you were going to become a financial advisor, did you work for a company first before you started your own or did you go straight into building your own business? Yeah. So my hope from the beginning, my ambition was that I would just start my own business right off the hop. Like Mm -hmm. how hard could it be? Right. And then you realize very quickly that this isn't like a marketing industry. It's not like the tech industry. You can't just go and start your own thing without permission. Right. There's regulators, there's compliance, there's lawyers, there's infrastructure, there's all sorts of things behind a financial services company that 
make it very difficult to just start from the ground up as somebody with no credentials or no experience. So I tried and I put my best foot forward and trying to start my own business, but it very quickly, very, very quickly hit me in the face that no, that's not the way this works. You can't just do that in this industry. You need to kind of follow some of the steps. So I actually ended up working for like a mutual fund dealer um, uh, in my in my hometown and over time grew up a little bit of a book there large enough that I could eventually uh, go out on my own. So I did start with a, with a business first and then go and do my own thing. Okay. Okay. And then from there, I mean, obviously it's a lot of work to basically grow the business to the point where you're at now. And I know you've talked about this in a few of your videos, but it's just like when you're first starting out as a financial advisor, it's like very hard to get clients to kind of build up um, the amount of assets that you're managing. What was your experience like once you took the leap and decided that you were going to go start your own company? I mean, did you already have a ton of clients um, from the work you were doing with that other company? Did you have to go out and get a bunch more clients? What was that like? Well, I think uh, you're, you're the perfect person to understand this. Um, when you start creating content online on a consistent basis, it stirs up opportunities like this call, for instance, right? You know, things just start coming into your plate that you wouldn't have had otherwise. And I think that's kind of what the, the advantage I had was that I had been producing so much online content. I was being featured in the media. There were different stories about me, et cetera, that I got to the point where getting clients off the hop was much easier for me than many other people because I already had a history of talking about these things and people knew me as kind of the finance guy, right? So I would say I definitely had an easier time of it than most people. And I think what you're doing, Jacob, if this is a career that you want to do is amazing. I think it's literally the best thing you could possibly be doing to accelerate your career is start to build those connections of people who might be interested in working with you before you're even close to starting in the career. Like that's the best thing because um, mm -hmm. that's what I felt helped me. That being said, what you'll quickly find is that if 50 people say they're interested in working with you, when push comes to shove and it's time to sign on the dotted line, um, you know, maybe only 10 of those 50 do, or maybe 20 of those 50 do, right? So it was a great starting point because I had a list of people who were interested, but once that was exhausted, now I had to get down to real work to figure out how am I going to grow this outside of those 50 people who said they would start with me. And that's when things get tricky. Right. That makes complete sense. So at some point along the line, uh, you started a YouTube channel. Um, which is how I connected with you. Uh, I'm just curious to kind of hear your thoughts on that whole process. I guess, why did you start the YouTube channel? What have been, I guess, once again, the good and bad consequences of doing so? Uh, and then, you know, where are you at now with that channel? Can you understand this idea of, let's say, um, optionality? So I'll give you an example. Um, sometimes really cool things happen in life kind of out of the blue or out of serendipity. You start a podcast and it leads you to meet someone else. And that person tends to meet, you know, they introduce you to someone else. And that person ends up being a major factor in your career development. And all these things randomly unfold, but you can't really connect the dots until you look backwards and see, oh, this event led to that, which led to that, which led to that, which led to me being here in this place that I actually am okay with. Does that kind of make sense? Oh yeah, definitely. I've certainly seen You're it in my life. Yes. You can only really connect the dots looking backwards. And so I think, Every single person who's had success can do that. They can look back and say, oh, there was that event which led to meeting this person, which led to this opportunity. But you don't know how that's going to unfold beforehand. 
Like if you look at you, your life in the rear view mirror is 2020 vision, you know exactly what the decision tree was to get you where you are. Right. But the future is a complete question mark. You don't know where it's going to go. So all you can really do in my view is you can try to maximize future serendipity or that future optionality. You can try to maximize the different types of luck you'll fall into in the future. So I think the best decision to make, whether you're investing or whether you're thinking about your career is take the path that provides the most possibility for different options to emerge or different levels of luck or serendipity to unfold, if that kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I think about what YouTube was for, for me, it was pretty obvious that there was very little downside and there was a ton of upside. So let's say the YouTube channel went nowhere. Okay. So that's scenario one, the YouTube channel goes nowhere. Scenario one, scenario two is that it probably has moderate success. And then scenario three is it has massive success. Regardless of which of those happen, something as good is happening for me. So if I have, you know, barely any success, the YouTube channel kind of just is stagnant. What I have then is at least a group of a couple thousand followers who are watching me routinely, might end up becoming clients, might be guys like you, Jacob, who invite me on a podcast, whatever it might be. Now, if the podcast blows up, it's going to create mass attraction for me as a person, for my industry reputation, for my business, all those sorts of things, right? And the only downside of doing it is that it's kind of embarrassing. Like me personally, you know, I've got, I I try to be humble, but I have a certain amount of ego that makes me think, ooh, it's kind of awkward to start a YouTube channel, (laughs) to look at all your friends and be like, hey guys, I'm I'm a YouTuber now. Like for (laughs) me, that was a very weird thing, but that was the only downside to it. Everything else was upside. It was good for my business. It was good for my reputation. It was good for content creation. It was good for developing skills, learning how to communicate, talk in front of a camera. Like all of these things are positives and increase the optionality of my life. And the only downside is that there's probably 10% of people I know who think I'm a total weirdo. And, and that's a downside that I'm okay with. So I think that's what was the initial motivation. But I have a, a, a really good story. If you don't mind me going further. Sure, go ahead. I had a client um, who I, you know, used to talk with in high school. And, you know, we, we weren't great friends in high school, but we had seen each other around. And um, when I got into the financial services business, um, about a year in, he kind of came to me and he's like, Hey, like, I'm going to need some help managing some money. Um, and I'm like, Oh, interesting. Like, didn't know what he was really up to, what he was really had going on. And so I invited him in and he came to my office and we had a chat. He said, yeah, I've got a YouTube channel with like a quarter million subscribers and we're making X per month. And that X number was like a huge number. And I don't want to disclose it because people might be able to connect the dots from my channel and whatnot. But, um, this guy was making more a month than, you know, a doctor or a lawyer. And wow. he was two years younger than me just with a YouTube channel. And I thought to myself, holy cow, like that's insane. So for me, I immediately became fascinated by the idea of, okay, if I'm interested in financial independence and I love investing, what's, what, what's a better tool for financial independence than like a passive YouTube platform where you upload a couple of videos a week and now you're making a full-time income on, mm-hmm. you know, maybe quarter time hours. Like that sounds awesome. Um, so I actually tried to start a YouTube channel back in probably 2017 and just didn't have the motivation to keep it going. As you know, with your podcast, like it takes serious energy and time and resources to build content consistently. Right. Um, so I ended up getting to the point where I was like, you know what, I can't do this. So I kind of shut it down after like 10 videos on my first channel. And I remember like probably about a year and a half ago, 
randomly coming across the fact that I had started this channel many years prior. And one of my videos had like 30,000 views on it. Oh, wow. And I was like, you idiot. Like if you had just stuck to it, you probably would have a couple hundred views with 30,000 views on it. And maybe you would have like a full-time income from YouTube. Maybe you would have a hundred thousand subscribers that you could leverage for your business. So I looked back and realized I had made a massive mistake by stopping. And I was like, okay, it's time to like get the right people in my corner and get the right resources in place to actually give this a serious shot. Um, so that's where we are now. We've been doing it for about a year. We've got about 135 videos now, and we do two new, two or three new ones every week. And we're about 5,000 subscribers, a little less and growing all the time. So it's exciting to see where it goes, but it's by no means been like some smashing success off the start. And I think that's how all content development goes. It starts really slow at first and then hopefully it compounds later on. So that's kind of where we're at. We're grinding away at it. No, but that's still pretty impressive for a year, 5,000 subscribers and over hundred videos. And guys definitely go check out. It's just Josh Olfert, right? On YouTube. Yeah. You could just type yeah. in Josh O-L-F-E-R-T on YouTube and uh, my, my annoying little face will pop up there. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Definitely go check that out guys. He puts out a ton of awesome content. I, once I, as soon as I stumbled upon his channel, I subscribed and have watched every video since. So definitely go check that out. Uh, if you guys are interested in, I mean, really any financial topic, but specifically being a financial advisor, I would definitely recommend his channel. Uh, curious about how many, I don't know how many um, new clients you're bringing on, but have you seen like a percentage of those clients come from your YouTube channel or I mean, any sort of connection that sort of stemmed from the YouTube channel? I would say, um, it's hard to tell, right? Because we get most of the leads and most of the inbound business we get comes through our website. And, you know, here's the interesting thing, Jacob, like what you find over time is that it's not one piece of content that gets somebody in, you know, it's usually, oh, they've been reading your blog for three years. And then they watched like two of your videos like a year ago. And then they heard your name from a friend. And then they have like five or six different interactions with you involved in it whether you're there directly or not, they may have watched a video a year ago and heard a referral from a friend six months ago. And then you produce a piece of content that they stumble across that is exactly what they needed to hear at that exact place in time. Mm. Maybe that person never had any, you know, desire for financial products or, you know, financial advice. And then boom, they got an inheritance and they're paralyzed what to do with the money. They've heard of you 12 months ago and then they heard of you again, eight months ago. And then they heard of you again, a couple months ago. And it's those little touch points you make for a very long period of time that end up having someone say, huh, maybe I should reach out to that guy, right? So it's very few and far between that someone sees one piece of content and you can easily trace where they came from and then how they became a client from that, if that kind of makes sense. No, that does make sense. Okay. But um, with that okay. said, um, I would say we have seen um, a couple, for sure a couple clients come to us. And the funniest thing ever is that the biggest client we've ever gotten came from our YouTube channel. Um, oh, wow. So, and, and that's one of those ones that we have direct confirmation on. It was like, hey, like you're an ideal client. Like this is a great situation. We'd love to have more clients like you. Where'd you hear about us? And they were like, yeah, actually I was just watching our YouTube channel. Um, and I was like, my goodness, like that's, that's <laughs> fantastic, right? Definitely not upset with the, the fruits of the labor in the first year, but we're definitely confused and challenged as to how to make our videos more engaging and more fun and more creative and more illustrative and trying to just find ways to actually provide value. I'm not sure if you feel this, but when you produce your podcast, sometimes you make an episode, you're like, huh, that just wasn't our best work. Like 
I could do a better job. I'm not sure people got value from that. That's kind of what I struggle with is I'm trying to make sure this content is as good as possible. Um, but it's difficult to do that. It's difficult to always come up with new and good ideas that are engaging for people. No, for sure. Definitely can relate to that. Uh, I guess I'm, the next thing I'm sort of wondering about is what does your day-to-day life look like now as, I mean, you have this full-blown financial advisor business, but then you also have this YouTube channel and then you're doing things like this. I mean, like, I guess what percentage of your time do you dedicate to, I guess, each of those major things you're involved in? I don't know if you still have those real estate properties Mm -hmm. of all of your obligations, what sort of percentage breakdown do each get in your uh, day-to-day life? That's a good question. And I would say it really fluctuates during the course of the year, but I am the kind of person who some people might relate to this. I'm either all into something or I'm all out of something. Um, if I find a new hobby or a new passion or a new obsession, I am all in. Um, if I'm shown something that I'm not, you know, that excited about, I'm pretty much all out. So I'm very binary in that way where it's like one or zero I'm in or I'm not. And, um, so what I do is I kind of structure my year in a way that kind of facilitates that. So we'll make sure that every single one of our clients, if we do like an annual review meeting, if we have like a very intensive part of our job, which is probably that face-to-face interaction with the client, like an hour or an hour and a half long meeting, we kind of stuff all of that into like November to February. So there's like a third of our year where we are absolutely grinding. Like we are all in for four months and we just give it our all. And then what that allows us to do is it allows us to pursue other projects. So let's say you work like double time in one quarter that allows you to work half time in another quarter, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So um, what I'm doing is I'm trying to make sure like a big part of this is seasonal too. So up where I live, there's like four months of the year that are like, you can die. It's so cold outside. <laughs> um, and there's, there's an insane amount of snow and there's just no fun to be had. You know, there's no beaches, there's no golf courses, there's no hiking. It's just too, it is too much. It is like the weather's just terrible. So what I tend to do is jam all of my business and all my meetings into that season when I can go out and meet people and like not miss out on too much. And then when summer comes around, I pursue other projects, you know, put a lot of time into YouTube, put a lot of time into my personal life, my social life, things that I really enjoy doing. Um, So the nice thing that I like about it is it's a career that allows me to choose when I'm all in or all out. And of course, you can't be all out when you're running a business. There's no opportunity for that. But my day-to-day during the summer looks like, you know, wake up, get a grasp on what's going on in the markets and the news, see what's in my inbox, address any client issues that need to be taken care of, help service anything if clients have requests, get all of those done. That can all usually be done by noon. Then from you know noon until 5 p.m., I'm either uh, working on specific proposals for new clients where I'm trying to get a new prospect in the door, trying to you know show them our value, build a proposal for them, or presenting or pitching. And then usually it kind of like it's it's a very nine to five thing. It seems off by five, I'm off to the golf course, hanging out with friends, that sort of thing. Um, but in the winter it might be a day where there are like six different meetings back to back to back to back to back. And I do that like four days in a row. Mm. Um, So it really just depends on time of the year. But the great thing about it is you get to choose when you want to work hard and when you want to step off the gas. Um, So that's kind of how I would explain it. No, that makes a ton of sense. All right, Josh, as we are uh, wrapping up here, I want to ask you two more questions. One, what is your biggest piece of advice for your teenage self? If you can go back, let's say, I don't know, 10 ish years when you were like 15 years old, how or what exactly would you say to yourself that would have put you in a better position than you are in today? 
absolutely. I would say find something that you want to do and find and make sure that you genuinely want to do it and then stick to that thing. I think I spent so much time in my early years looking for some quick thing. How can I quickly have some exit that makes me a bunch of money? How can I quickly get some business that gets up and running? Um, all great things in life come from compounding, come from this idea of interest on interest on interest and having many, many years and many, many kicks the can at making something happen. You know, if I had tried to be a financial advisor and be successful in the first year, I would have given up. Um, just like I gave up on five other businesses I tried to start because they weren't immediately successful. I think that as a young person, especially, you know, this cliche about how our lower attention spans are and how quickly we want things to happen in this age. It's so important to have that patience to stick with something for a long enough time to see it through. Like that YouTube channel that I first started, perfect example. Had I stuck through, my life would be massively different. Other businesses I tried to start, had I stuck with those, my life could be massively different. Altogether, very grateful for where I am. But I think if I would look back, I would pick one thing and stick with it until I know for sure if it's not going to work or stick with something until I can actually see it through. Haven, the company I'm running now was kind of the first thing I stuck to. And it was the first, it's surprisingly, it was the first thing I worked out. It's like, how does that work? Of course, it's like the first thing that you actually decided to stick with that ended up working out. Um, so I think that's a huge one is don't become um, a money rabbit. You know, it's like there's a bunny rabbit just kind of hops all over the place. A money rabbit is like your buddy with like crypto, Bitcoin, this, that, the other thing, marijuana, all these different startups in my Instagram bio. And he's trying, you know, it's these kinds of people who are just always looking for that next hot trend to try to make them rich. You want to be the opposite of what that is. You want to be the patient, prudent person who's working on one thing as hard as you can and seeing that through to the end. I'd say that is what I would tell myself if I was 18 again. Yeah, I love that. All right, Josh, last question for you. Uh, where can our audience, one, get to know more about you and then two, get connected with you uh, if they would like to do so? Absolutely. If you want to support me, I would so much appreciate you hop over to the YouTube channel, which is just Josh Olfert, J-O-S-H-O-L-F-E-R-T. And that will give you a lot of video content. But if you want something to read and something to look at some of the influences and the books I read and the, and the different things like that, you can go over to Jolfert, J-O-L-F-E-R-T.com. That's my personal website. And uh, yeah, those two places would probably be the best to find me. All right, sweet. Well, Josh, thank you very much for coming on today. Really enjoyed getting to uh, know you, talk to you, and kind of learn from you. Awesome. Thanks, Jacob. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I hope we can do this again. We'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast. We would greatly appreciate it if you could subscribe, leave a review, and share this with someone who needs it.